Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood. podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. That's Cots with two A's, K-A-A-T-Z, bros.com. Solid guys, great uh, sponsor. They've been with us um, since day one at trappingtoday.com, and they've been sponsoring the podcast for quite a long time now. And uh, I've been talking about them forever, but now, tonight, is uh, your chance to hear from Kyle from, from Cots Brothers, one of the two brothers. Uh, talk a little bit more about the business and about trapping. Um, I'm really excited to uh, to bring this interview to you. Um, what else is going on in my world? Well, um, this is usually a slow time of year when I get caught up and get things done, and it's been stupid busy. So... Uh, I've been uh, been running around. I just actually just got back from a three-day stint in the woods, which I always love. It was not a trapping trip, um, but it wasn't all, wasn't all that bad. Um, stayed in the cabin by myself and uh, got a fair little bit of work done. Um, always enjoy being out in the woods. Beautiful, beautiful area. Uh, nice and quiet, um, and just uh, just a great spot. So uh, getting back from that, just normal day-to-day things are just hitting all at once here, and uh, and so there's just a million things going on, and I will talk to you about that in the next episode. Uh, we'll get into some of the trapping-related things that I have going on. Excited to talk more about that. But for now, let's get into this interview. I'm I'm really uh, really happy that I finally got Kyle on. He's he's real busy. Uh, they got a lot going on there. Um, but I had the chance to uh, to get him on the phone, and we had a great conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and uh, we'll we'll uh, get into it. Um, I'm with Kyle Cotts from Cotts Brothers Lures in Savannah, Illinois. How are you, Kyle? I'm doing real good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's great to have you here. So uh, uh, I first found out about you guys back when you contacted me about advertising on Trapping Today, back before the podcast. And uh, I was really excited to do business with you because of, uh, you know, after getting to know you a little bit, your your outlook and mindset and, and forward-thinking attitude about business and trapping. <laughs> you know, I, I thought that was really neat and, and consistent with a lot of the things that, that I try to do. Um, but anyway, it's, it's great. Been talking, you know, talking about you quite a bit on the podcast for about six months now. Um, but it's great to finally have a chance for uh, listeners to to hear from you. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I, I guess I kind of time kind of gets away from me, but I was hoping I, uh, you would ask me to be on at some point. <laughs> yeah. So, so could you start by maybe giving us a little overview of who you are and what you guys do? Well, I guess. Uh, that's a that's a, a a tough question to answer because it seems like it changes every day almost. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I guess that the whole Cots Brothers Lures started in uh, 1995. I was a sophomore in high school and uh, I was writing some articles for the Fur Taker magazine. And I decided I needed to write a book. And uh, after that book came out, I tried to get different dealers to carry it, and uh, that kind of opened the door to my to my. 15 year old mindset of hey i i don't want to go to college i don't like school i don't like authority and i see the potential here to get all my trapping supplies for free if i can <laughs> sell some <laughs> so that that theory uh, uh that 15 year old theory is it uh led to a lot of daydreaming and, and thoughts and ideas and and um 
you know, I guess uh, about a week ago, I had a uh, we use QuickBooks Online, and and they reach out all the time for different um, input, focus group type stuff, and and they reached out about a week ago, and uh, they kind of asked me the same question you did, and at the end of it, she she said, you know, if you could wave a magic wand and change anything about business, what would it be? And I kind of laughed. I said, well, I said I don't know that I would change anything other than maybe I'd look ahead to see what business looks like five years out just Mm -hmm. to get a peak maybe to prepare but overall I think I wake up every day and do what I dreamed of doing when I was 15 years old it's just that sometimes when you when you're young and you have these great aspirations um it's not 2020 vision (laughs) you have an idea but you don't necessarily know exactly what it's going to look like and now looking back I could say, okay, kid, you you had you had the right vision here. This is this is exactly what I what I needed and what I wanted now. Um, but it's taken uh, twenty four what are what are we yeah twenty four years later. Um, <laughs> it 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 looks very much like them daydreams. It's just like I say on on a day to day basis. It seems like uh, you know we're sometimes at the mercy of orders and and you know just before you called, I was rushing around trying to get some get a pallet out today we're dealing with negative three and blizzards across the midwest so it's nice. a uh today i was playing the part of a logistics specialist i guess and uh that's sometimes uh, a little bit of a challenge because uh, the 15 year old me didn't understand or comprehend uh some of the challenges that that business would face on a day-to-day basis now other than hey i like to trap i like to make lure and i like to write where can it go from here and uh, so here we are now a full-fledged trapping supply <laughs> company and you know i that's a real short version of 24 years i guess <laughs> did, did you always think it was going to be kind of a, a straight just focused just trapping supply type company or were you were you always kind of looking for for new things to branch into and try out um i maybe tried different things at times and i i kind of go back to to uh i've I've heard some smart business people uh i had merged my business i lived in minnesota for a year and a half and worked with tim caven and one of the things tim always said was stick with what you're good at um and that's that his words always kind of echo in my mind that's really good advice and i've also I'm, my wife and i we watch shark tank like mad and yeah. and on shark tank I've, mark cuban has I, I don't know if it was on shark tank or an interview i read where mark cuban said diversification is for idiots <laughs> uh stick with what you know and and i i think that's something that's that's you know it's 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 very true um you know it, I'm not probably the smartest businessman there is, but in this industry, I can sure pretend like it because I understand the product. <laughs> I can relate to the customer. Now, if I was to branch off into into another business, you know, there very well could be a disconnect with the with the the customer or maybe a lack of knowledge with the product or the service, and I think that could could lead to some setbacks. So, I guess. Um, do I have aspirations for other businesses? Uh, less and less all the time. I, 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 every everything revolves around the fur industry and, and trapping because that's what I can what I can relate to and sure. and I feel most comfortable with. And I, I'm not that I'm afraid, but 
it, it just wouldn't make sense to jump into something different where there's a lot of other risks. There's the, and there's enough to do in the trapping industry, I'm sure. Exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm pretty fascinated by uh, you being a teenager and trying to break into this business. What, what was that like? It must have been pretty intimidating and difficult at times. <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, the one thing I can say looking back is, is, um, is I, when I sit here now, whenever I have a chance to deal with somebody that's younger, boy, I try to bend over backwards because I see a reflection of myself. Yeah. Um, but the biggest thing I learned is looking back, being that 15 year old, you have, you run into some challenges and you also find out a lot about people that are established. And one person that comes to mind that when I was, like 15 and Kellen, my brother was 13 and we were going to some conventions. I was real afraid to talk on the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would write letters and, and, and request catalogs. And we started ordering lure lure bottles from Sterling fur. And um, my dad took us to the fur takers convention in LaGrange, Indiana. And uh, we had a bunch of used traps we had gathered up and we were selling them. And Keith Winkler, the owner of Sterling fur came by and said, Hey, I noticed you guys have been ordering some lure bottles. I wanted to give you a wholesale catalog. Well, that, that was just kind of a chance thing. And uh, at first, you know, once I got that wholesale catalog, it like opened up a whole new world to me that, Hey, we could buy stuff from, from Sterling and I could actually start selling other things besides use traps and, and lure. And uh, I was afraid to make phone calls. This is pre-internet. So this is, we're getting to be like 96, 97. It was 97. So you had to do a lot on the phone. Yeah, you had to do a lot on the phone. So I would write up things, and 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 my mom would would let us. She would give us a credit card number, and I could give her the money, and I'd have <laughs> Kellen call and talk to Keith to place these orders. And you know, Keith has been very much one of my best friends and, and mentors in this business. And I mean, I we we ever since then. I mean, we've always done a lot of business. But Keith was somebody that, as I went from fifteen to eighteen to twenty one, he always was really supportive. Um, bend over backwards to do whatever he could to make me successful. And so having, and it wasn't just Keith, there was, I mean, other people along the way, uh, I'd mentioned Tim Caven that really were quick to say, Hey, uh, you know, I can give you extended terms or, or work with me to allow me to, to succeed. And, um, so there was, there was those people, which, which I would say they were not in the majority. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of that, I can remember getting told, um, this was a little bit later when I took over as editor of Trapper's World, um, I remember one established guy saying, I think he's too young to have all these experiences. <laughs> and I remember another guy that is, he had bought out a pretty big trapping supply company and and after I left Minnesota, I went back out on my own. He, I remember him saying, oh, I don't think Kyle will be around much longer. You know, he's not going to make it and all this stuff. And, and I heard that. I, I heard that really loud and clear. And in a sense, people saying that motivated me more than the Tim Cavins and the Keith Winklers that were willing to help me. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I, I guess, it, it, but you, it, if, I, if I had started the business when I was 30, I wouldn't have had the knowledge or the experience of getting to see the difference in how you're treated by other businesses and by other respected people in the industry. So I think starting young, it offers an advantage, but it also offers huge challenges 
um, because uh, you know the, it's hard. It's sometimes hard to be taken serious, and um, we definitely we have customers and suppliers that have been with us since those early years, and I really value those people that that supported us and. And we're willing to try our lures when, when you know, I couldn't even grow a beard. So <laughs> it, 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 that it's, it's a, it's definitely been a long road in that respect. But it's, it's to look back on it. I mean, you definitely you learn, you learn a lot, and and can, can kind of, uh, the hindsight, hindsight is always twenty twenty. And I guess the more time goes on, the more you're able to look ahead and see it more clearly and be able to predict how different business things are going to work out. Right. Yeah. So um, let's talk about, you, you mentioned that you merged with Minnesota Trapline uh, products and, and I'm kind of curious, like what, how did that come about? Uh, why did you do that? And... Um, that was something, that was something that, Tim, Tim offered to me, and I guess I was at a stage in my life where, where I felt that uh, that that was the right thing to do at that time. And um, were you pretty you I, you were just getting started at when about when was that? Uh, this was in I moved to Minnesota in the fall of two thousand five. Okay, and then I moved back to Illinois here in the spring of two thousand seven. Um, it was it was definitely interesting and and not too long ago Tim and I have we talked a lot about that time and and I I really respect Tim a lot he's he's like I said he's been a a real mentor and a good friend in business and that experience of going there it really was enlightening um, Minnesota Trapline is is I would say one of the top two uh, retailers in this business so at that time going there i mean it really opened my eyes to a lot of things um yeah just the scale of the scale of the operation must have been pretty amazing to you yeah yeah i mean it's it's a i guess one of the biggest things is it's like you know to when i left minnesota i thought um you know i want to grow really big and then after a couple years it's like you know I don't want to be that big. I, I, I want to be a little bit smaller um, and have some time to do what I want. However, sometimes it doesn't always work out that way um, because you are kind of at the mercy of the, the orders. And like for us, this past fall has been probably the most hectic we've had um, from the standpoint of last summer. My wife and I had a baby, so I didn't work oh, a lot during the summer. And <laughs> thank you. So that kind of put a lot of pressure on my brother, and and you know we're we're kind of starting to see the light at the at the end of the tunnel. Um, but when you, uh, I, I guess you know when I'm crazy busy, I kind of look back to some of the lessons I learned in Minnesota, and that knowledge is just invaluable. So where where do you see uh, Cots Brothers? Uh role or niche in the trapping industry where where do you guys kind of sit uh, as far as as far as um, what you do that's a good that's a good question because i think you know overall in the trapping industry everybody is competitive but we're also we all kind of have our own niche thing um for us uh we saw a lot of a lot of fox coyote bobcat uh the urine business has really been a big stable of our of our existence i guess um, and, and of course, lure and bait, um, we do a lot of private label and we also sell a lot of, uh, 
raw materials, ground meats, glands, and stuff to other lure makers. So I would say that's kind of where we fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it didn't necessarily happen on purpose. It just, one of them things that just, as time went on, it's kind of, kind of just developed that way. Uh, it wasn't necessarily a goal of mine or, a, a, uh, something I set out to do. It just kind of worked out that way. Um, uh, we kind of fell into some different deals where we could get certain urines and, and certain raw materials. And, and also there's some other people that happened to retire at the same time, which left, left us with, you know, a, a market waiting that we just kind of, it was kind of luck. And, and that old business adage of it's not what you know, it's who you know, yep. um, that, that has cu- come into play so many times over the past 24 years and it just it happens that way we didn't mean for it to happen it just you know you know you know the right people and and things line up and then all at once hey that's what we do now (laughs) right (laughs) you try it and it works and then and then you kind of build on it yeah exactly yeah and you guys so so you still you still do you know i see i know kellen had a new dvd and video out um you're still doing the book and dvd stuff yeah, yeah. This year, I don't think we'll we won't have any new books or DVDs. But that has been a that has been a a good part of our business too. Um, uh, as far as like making DVDs, it's something we've enjoyed. Um, and and writing, I think you know the whole business started on writing. And I guess Kelly and I both would kind of talk like moving ahead. We'll probably I would say we would have a new book out before we have the next DVD out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just there's something kind of old school about reading that, I mean, we both like to read and it seems that customers too, um, there's something valuable about having a book. It's just a little bit old school versus DVDs, I think. And the other thing about DVDs is now like with, with YouTube being so prevalent, everybody can watch trapping stuff nonstop. So I don't know, five years from now producing a DVD it may be something where videos are simply downloaded off of websites and not actually sold as DVDs. I don't know, but it just, it seems like that could happen, um, which is kind of a challenge because there's a lot of money tied up in DVD inventories across the industry. Absolutely. So yep. that's the, that's a big, that's a big potential challenge for sure. And I guess the, the one advantage in the trapping industry is it seems to be five, 10 years behind uh, a lot of other industries as far as technology. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely changing fast and it's going to be a, a challenge to see how, how people can continue to monetize, you know, trapping videos and, and even books with all that information mm-hmm. available. But Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, that's one thing too, like, like, you know, you look at that some of the bigger suppliers, um, that carry all the different DVDs and like, just talked about Minnesota Trapline F and T. You look at at the amount of the choices they have, and there's a big amount of dollars tied up in all them different DVDs. That all at once, if the industry does kind of catch up to modern society, where nobody really wants to buy a DVD, that's going to hurt. Um, and so that's that's a a challenge that I, I foresee for the entire industry coming down the road. Just like VHS tapes turned into DVDs, is you know. <laughs> What are DVDs going to turn into next? Is it going to be downloads? Um, is it going to be all on YouTube? Is it? I, I I would say that somehow it's going to be 
online uh, in some form or another versus when you step back and look at books, I still think we're a long ways away from books being obsolete. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just, there, it's, there is something about a physical just, book. Right. Right. So, um, well, not to shift uh, gears too fast, but I'm kind of curious about the story about the story of the TS-85 and how you got how you got involved in that because um, that's you know okay. becoming a very popular trap. Uh, a lot of people that I trap around uh, really like it for beaver trapping. So, mm-hmm. and I noticed that Hot ca- Brothers Lure's name is on the pan of that trap. Yeah, yeah. That's just a, a again a random thing. Who you know, and it's not what you know; it's who you know. And um, Tim Swat, Tim and Brent Swatsky in Minnesota, they they make the trap. And uh, Tim had mentioned uh, he was working on it. And um, this was let me put my dates together here. It would have been it would have been the late fall of '07, I believe. Um, we had, it, it, I, I met Tim when I lived in Minnesota and, and got to know him, hunted ducks with him and, and not to get too far off base, but Tim Swatsky is a name very few people may know, but he is probably the premier water trapper in the country. Um, really? the numbers that him and Brent produced are just incredible, phenomenal catches. Um, probably like I say, um, there's hardly anybody that has the experience and, and the just mind-boggling catches of mink and muskrats and coon that they have. And so I naturally hit it off with Tim Swatsky, and uh, he had mentioned that he was kind of looking for somebody to market the trap, and he sent me he sent me three TS-85s, uh, just prototypes, basically. And that winter, I went to Alabama to trap beaver, and I used them, and I really liked them. Um, nothing against... The, the other beaver footholds but having that extra jaw spread i immediately noticed i was a better beaver trapper and i <laughs> yeah. was confident in i was confident in in using mb750s and cdrs um i really like I, I always liked mb750 um and i i was confident i thought i was a pretty good beaver foothold trapper and then having that extra inch i really noticed like holy cow my my catch jumped up and i think that extra inch sometimes it is a matter of inches and that extra inch um your catch per visit ratio i think goes up so i was all fired up about it i I really liked the trap it was easy to set um it required very little as far as adjustments go and um so i started talking to tim and um i i happened again it's just one of them things lined up um he kind of had a he he kind of broke it down for me he had some expense with tools and with uh with the 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 dies and the manufacturing of getting it going and he kind of broke it down and and said i need you to buy this many and if you can do it uh let's you know let's make this deal basically and and i just happened to at that point um i happened to have a uh, line of credit deal come through and I had the money and I, I sent him a check in advance and I felt real good about it. And, and, uh, he said, what do you want me to put on the pan? <laughs> That's how our name got on the pan. <laughs> and, you know, since then it, it's just, uh, I, I really, I like, I like, 
uh, working with Tim Swatsky a lot. He's there. Him and Brent both are very, very smart as far as um, making uh, or as far as building traps, and and they they are kind of the silent genius behind a lot of different products in this business. Really? And I, I won't say any more than that, but <laughs> but uh, that's. Uh, you know that the TS eighty five is all on them. That's all their creation. We simply just fell into the marketing of it. So they 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 still build all the TS eighty fives, and you guys distribute them, basically. Yep, yep, yep. They they ship them to us, and yeah, we're we're basically the the sole distributor. So we send them to the different dealers from here. Nice. That's that's pretty cool. Have you have you had the opportunity to do something else like that with other products? Um. Yeah, but none of them ever really worked out very well. <laughs> um, <laughs> we only hear early, about the successes, right? Yeah, er, yeah. early on, um, we did have an opportunity to work with a guy um, that it was about '97, I think, that we were going to distribute his modified traps. And and you know, looking back at the time, I didn't realize that um, the the man had some alcoholism issues and. It just it never really worked out. I didn't really lose anything, but I didn't really gain anything, and I invested a lot of time. Yeah. So that was a bit of a challenge there. Um, as far as you know, the TS eighty five, it um, we we've not had anything really work out that way um, since. Um, I tried some different deals. Um, I guess behind the scenes, nobody would ever know I even tried to get certain products, but, but I did. And, and looking back, I'm glad some of those deals didn't fall into place because ultimately uh, we see a lot of products in this business that they're not real sustainable. When they yeah. come out new, they sell like mad. You can make money on them. Trappers are happy. But then a year or two later, you find out, you know what? That product wasn't real good. There's some flaws with it. People get upset it hurts sales. The people that do have it want to either return it or they sell it used at a convention or on eBay. And all at once, it's like, well, it yeah, was kind really of a one-hit wonder. On right? Yeah, yeah, you don't really that that those kind of things are tough. Whereas, I think for us, the TS eighty five um, through our dealer network, and and I think um, so. I think some of the different dealers kind of kind of helped sell the trap. Um, having it on their websites and in their their catalogs, and then also um, the I think a lot of the like last year we sold more TS85s than the first year they were available, wow. and I think some of it is guys modifying them to use on wolves too. Oh, so really? that okay. that has that that has added another element to TS85 sales. So they're they're obviously they're forecoiling them. What else are they doing to modify them? I think that's a, a trapper preference thing. And we have talked about offering a modified TS eighty five. The only thing that I the only thing that's really holding us back is 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 trappers' opinions. So however we would modify it would only suit certain trappers' needs. And I think a a guy in Alaska trapping wolves is different than a guy in Ontario trapping uh, yeah, wolves absolutely. or a guy in, in Idaho. Um so it there's a lot of variants there. Um, a lot of guys are foil-coiling them. Um, of course, uh, the chain system, that's where you really get yeah. into a lot of varied opinions. Um, a he- not necessarily a heavier chain, but more swivels, um, a longer chain. Uh, the jaws is another thing as far as 
you know, how you laminate it. It's, it's my, an inside lamination on the 85 requires a lot of extra adjustment because of the pan system. Yeah. So you're looking more like an outside lamination. And then some guys um, are also basically taking the lamination all the way down on the inside of the jaws to reinforce. Um, okay. I don't myself personally, I don't think it's a problem, but some wolf trappers want it where the jaw reaches the, the base plate. They want that heavier, thicker. They don't want the jaw um, to pop so, out maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're welded, but they're the jaws where they they do get a little bit thinner as they taper down, okay. which it adds a little bit of speed when the jaws close. Um, but it's different when they're closing on a beaver's foot in the water versus a wolf's foot in negative twenty in Alaska. Sure. Um, so they're looking at some different elements of weather and the whole environment which they trap and how that affects the trap so the modification end of it um i think there's a lot of varied I, and again i've never trapped a wolf i've never even set a trap for a wolf um so i'm going off of just customer input on the the wolf side of the of the modifications and and the different wolf trappers i've talked to there's some very a lot of varied opinions no different than any other animal, yeah. but um, that's kind of prevented. We basically said, you know, to get into offering a modified TS-85, that's going to create a lot more work for Tim and Brent, and it forces us to have a whole other inventory of, of traps, and that is such a niche market that I think for now we're better off just letting the trapper modify them themselves um, uh, from a business standpoint. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, Kyle, um, before we get uh, too far along and uh, finish things up, I, you know, kind of overlooked the fact that you are, you are a trapper and you've done a lot of trapping over the years <laughs> in a lot of different states. <laughs> so uh, uh-huh. I, I'm kind of curious. I think people would be interested to hear how you got started trapping. We always like to ask uh, how different people got started. Well, I was kind of kind of born into it. Um, my on my dad's side, both my great grandpas trapped. And my grandpa trapped, my dad trapped when he was little, and then the family kind of moved to the suburbs of Chicago. So they still hunted, but trapping wasn't really accessible. And then when Kellen and I got into, like, our, I think I was about 12, and my dad owned property, which is where I now live in Savannah, Illinois, which is about three hours from where we grew up in the south suburbs. We would come over here on the weekends, and uh, my uncle would set some traps. And the one deer season we were over here, he caught a beaver and a raccoon. And that, I always knew what trapping was. My dad had traps hanging on the wall. Um, We'd set them, snap pencils in them when (laughs) I was a kid, when I was five, six years old. Mm -hmm. So I was aware of what trapping was. And But when my uncle caught that beaver and that raccoon, that just really, like, kind of inspired me a little bit. And then... um, we had to sell magazine subscriptions for school for some kind of field trip or something. And I, I was never really a big school kid. I I didn't particularly like school. And, um, I, when we had field trips, I normally would tell my mom, like, Hey, could I just be sick that day? (laughs) (laughs) Since it's a field trip anyhow. And so one of the field trips, I don't remember where we were going, but we had to sell magazine subscriptions. And my mom said, how about for your birthday, we had to sell two. She said, how about for your birthday, you just pick out two magazines, and I'll buy them for you, and then that will 
you know, you don't have to sell anymore. Well, I picked out for fishing game and sports afield. Yeah. And I still get sports. I, I still get for a fishing game now. I don't even know if sports afield exists, <laughs> to be honest. It's changed a but lot. <laughs> I, yeah. I've, I, I just, once I got them first first fishing games, and at the time, Red Fox, again, it wasn't an Illinois Red Fox. It was like a Wyoming, Montana Red Fox could be worth up to $40. Mm-hmm. And a light just went off in my head like, oh, my God, $40 <laughs> walks under my tree stand almost every day. So I could be ripped. Like, I could I could come home from the cabin with $80 every week if I shot this fox with my bow. Yep. And that was, that was, again, like the 12-year-old thought in my brain. And um, so that kind of just just uh, like lit the fire and and we were fortunate as far as living in a family that had trapping experience and knowledge and my dad's side of the family's from northeastern wisconsin so like all the great uncles and everything trapped um so it was very easy to talk to trappers it was very hard to find information um i randomly came across uh we were at the ed shirley's bait and tackle fishing store and they had a magazine rack and they had a trapper and predator collar there and i saw that and it was like the holy grail lit up i have to have this and and of course i immediately subscribed and that really was like game changing then because it was nothing against fur fishing game but it wasn't all trapper and predator collar in the back that had all the associations so then that led me to the Illinois trappers association and and just a more uh I was a little more in tune with the industry, and and that's how, you know, reading those magazines, I got to know who Charlie Dobbins was and and different people like that, and, you know, that kind of furthered the the whole thought process then for a few years to where I started writing and, and, you know, we gained a few permissions, and then I graduated high school earlier with the idea that I was going to trap Iowa and be rich, which is a whole <laughs> other story. But I, that I basically I graduated high school in January, and then uh, that following fall was my first real forte into state hopping, and I failed miserably. But uh, that was the biggest educational trap line I've ever ran, really. Um, and that's a big. T- I guess I've trapped a lot of different places, and and um, now business is such an. And I also, I'm not the best trapper. I'm not caught the most animals, but I've reached a lot of my trap line goals. So a lot of my goals now are not necessarily centered around trapping. They're more centered around the business. So when I do trap, it's more of a reminiscent thing. Um, you know, I trap. My grandpa passed away, but there's a lot of places that he walked with me or rode in the canoe that I go back to, and it's it's just fun to be there and to relive those memories. And that's kind of the I'm not trying to trap to make my truck payment. I've been there and I've done that, and <laughs> that was an accomplishment in itself. But now I, when I do set traps, it's 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 just a whole different mindset. And I think sometimes. Uh, some of our customers can't necessarily always understand that because they expect, um, you know, I think sometimes the images that I'm, I'm starting in the fall, I'm running a long line for coon (laughs) and then I'm going down South and I'm trapping beaver and then I'm going and catching coyotes in the desert and doing, and it's just physically impossible to do all that and run a business. (laughs) And I'm at a stage in my life where, where, you know, I could go and do all that, but 
um, my wife would not appreciate it one bit. The bank would hate me, and I wouldn't have anything to come home to because I wouldn't be able to pay my bills. And you wouldn't have, <laughs> much, you wouldn't have much fun it, doing that then. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I, I guess, um, you know, that it's life is always full of trade offs, and I'm, 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 I don't really consider it a trade off as much as you know the next phase, the new goal, the goals I have now with family, with business. They they're way more alluring to me than saying, "Can I go catch a thousand coon?" or "I need to go trap bobcats." Or it just it's different different mindset. Maybe it's a little bit of maturity. And like I say, I just uh, uh, I kind of view things differently than I did when I was twenty one, and I felt like I had to prove myself as a trapper in order to sell my products. Right. And, and yeah, there's a lot to be said for that, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's funny, though, because I, I have younger people watch my YouTube videos and ask, do you trap full time? Is this what you do? And I'm like, are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's, that's that, that dream, that, that, that allure, I, it's really such a, a fine line there because I don't want to discourage anybody. Right. But I also feel like you have to be realistic. And the idea of trapping full time is 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 great. I think we all look forward to just when we have nothing to do for the day but wake up and check traps is a great feeling. Any trapper can relate to we want more of it. Um, but if you have responsibilities, you may only get to do that for two weeks when you can take off work or, or you know, some trappers work a job where they're laid off during the winter. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different things that play into somebody's time, but I don't think, or, or take, for example, a kid that's 16 and can only trap over his Christmas break, let's say. Right. And I really don't think that, you know, there's, there's plenty of 16 year olds out there that can only trap over their Christmas break. And they may only be able to, let's say, trap their family farm and they catch what they can in that two weeks they are no less a trapper than a guy that is catching 3,000 coon a year or catching huge, crazy numbers. Um, there's there's this, this notion that, that people judge trappers by how much they catch. And I learned a long time ago that that's really irrelevant because you're up against so many different things. And, you know, for example... Um, you can't, you know, you live in Maine, I live in Illinois, you're going to catch less coon than me. It doesn't make you less of a coon trapper. It just, there's, coon don't really like to live in Maine. They like it in (laughs) Illinois. No different than, I'm not going to be a very successful martin trapper in Illinois because they don't live here. (laughs) So people forget that, that, you know, we, we all deal with different animal populations. So, the overall end catch is not a real, uh, a, not a real good judgment of how good of a trapper somebody is. And then the other aspect of that is, okay, trapping full time. There's a lot of pressure with that. Yes. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of society doesn't do well with that pressure. That's why not everybody owns a business. And a lot of people wake up and go to work and do a job they work for a company or they work for somebody else because there's some security in that 
Um, they know, hey, on Friday I'm going to get my paycheck. It's going to be this much. I can pay my bills, and next week I do it all over again after I enjoy the weekend. Exactly. Yeah. That's fine. That's that is what drives America, and that is perfectly fine. That person though doesn't have as much time to trap as somebody that is trapping supposed full time. And now, like on a local level, a lot of the people that are like our local customers that trap full time. A lot of them are, are one retired, and then the other, uh, the other aspect of them are people that don't have jobs, and, and it's, not any, it's not because they're, they got laid off or unemployed. It's because they don't have the real gumption or the ability to hold down a job, so they trap a little bit but claim they're a full-time trapper. Uh, and, and so that's another aspect, but I mean, I guess overall, like being a full-time trapper, I would still say to somebody, you know what, have a career, have a job where you can take time off and go hog wild trapping because you can make some money trapping. Even this year, you could make a profit trapping. It'd be difficult. It depends where you're But you could do it. But what do you, you can't make enough profit though in that time to pay your bills all through yeah, summer. Exactly. I mean, exactly. it, it's just... Yeah, if you just look it's at just it, the not the trap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which, I mean, there's there's plenty of guys. I do know some guys that are real successful. Um, they trap in the fall for fur, and they have good nuisance businesses, which is, is definitely a very viable career option. Um, mm-hmm. There's a there's a lot of career opportunity there. But again, it also goes back to you have to be in an area where people have animal problems uh, to have that, uh, to, to have that job or, or have that option. Yes. Yeah. You got to be around a lot of people. And most of us trappers like to be in rural areas away from yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but just wanted to go back and touch on that, that thing you spoke about, um, you know, catching a thousand coon doesn't make you the best coon trapper. Uh, the thing that I try to focus on is how, how much did I learn with each animal that I caught? Because there's a lot of guys that just have one formula and this is how they trap for coons and they don't, they might catch several hundred coons, but if they're not open-minded and learning all the time, they're not going to be a better trapper than the young guy just getting started out who's, who's constantly learning. Absolutely. Um, the one thing I will say is like my best year in Iowa in 2001, I learned very little because the only thing in my brain was I need to get back in the truck and get on to the next stop. <laughs> I need to get, I need to, I, I was totally focused on time management and production. So I was kind of, kind of just going hog wild and not really paying attention. I had a system that I used. Um, I was primarily relying on pocket sets. Um, I had a system with my maps and how I, how I kept track of things and, I just was basically implementing that system. I was going to bed a lot of nights after skinning about midnight and getting up at two thirty, And so you're not functioning at your best. Yeah. So during that season, it was my best production season. As far as actually learning or becoming a better trapper, I didn't, I was a better trapper. I learned more when I was 15 or in some of the recent years, um, a couple of years ago, I, I said, I'm just going to trap muskrats. So I trapped my, uh, I had permission on a small pond. I trapped two 
swamp areas here on our own property, and then I trapped the backwaters of the Mississippi. And I went slow. I wasn't trying to set any records. I think I caught 146 muskrats. But in that couple, I, I think I trapped maybe three weeks or so. Yep. Um, I, I guess I trapped I, the bulk of those. I caught like 125 of the muskrats in the first five days, I think. And then I pretty much, the rest of the time, I caught some beaver and some coon and stuff too. But I kind of, uh, once I kind of burnt out some areas, I pulled. And so I was spending more time in the canoe and just paying attention. And it was like, I had to step back and it's like, you know, this trapping season, I have learned more. Uh, that was the fall, let me think, that was the fall of 16. Yep. In that 2016 trapping season, I learned more than I than I had in probably 20 years trapping because I had no pressure. I was not trying to set the world on fire. I was simply trapping the animals that were there. And like I say, I was thinking about, uh, that was the fall after my grandpa passed away. So that was fresh on my, mem- my memory. So I was like trapping some of the places that I would spend with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I trapped the places where I caught my first coon and my first muskrats. And it was just like, I started to learn the learning process. Like I kind of had forgotten about that. And I felt like after 2016, it's like, you know, I didn't, that wasn't my best year numbers wise, but as far as education, I felt like, Hey, you know what? I furthered my beaver. I'm a little bit better of a beaver and muskrat trapper now than I was before that season started. <laughs> yeah. So it was, that was, that's, yeah, it's totally, it's, I totally agree with that. Sometimes about, you know, what can you learn from each catch? Um, if you can slow down and look at that, it's way more very valuable than any DVD or book you could buy. And especially in a low market when you're not going to get a lot for the fur anyway. Um, if mm-hmm, I, I figure right. if you can learn during the low market, then all of a sudden if things pick back up, um, you can go out there and really be efficient and catch some fur. Yeah. Yep. For sure. But, well, Hey Kyle, um, I know you're a busy man. This has been a lot of fun. Um, but you probably, have yeah, to- <laughs> well, I think if we have the time, the, the hard thing about this is, is, and I mean, if you've got any more questions, I got a couple more minutes we could keep talking. But the funny thing is like, I, I'm not done many interviews or anything like this. Like I mentioned about a week ago, I did that QuickBooks thing where they, they were wanting to talk more about business and, and stuff. And then after I hang up the phone, you know, like my brother can hear the conversation we're having the rest (laughs) of the day, we're going to have about four or five hours of stories that we have forgotten about. (laughs) You know, it's just, that's how it always works. Absolutely. The beauty is we can have you back on for more for sure. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> well yeah maybe maybe you know any any time here we get into the spring i'd be happy to talk with you some more it's it's kind of fun to like i say look back and you just some of the questions you ask it makes me think of different things and like i said we don't have enough time to kind of like go through it all but so many people and and different things that have happened and conventions yeah um and just the industry i mean it makes me think of of just so many fun times and and funny stories that uh that you don't think about until somebody asks you about them (laughs) yeah we we didn't even get into you trapping in maine uh someday i'd love to hear about that (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's one of them other story to sum that up that's kind of like the first year in iowa that's like maine trappers have my total respect that's one of the worst places you could be a trapper because because of the conditions (laughs) i mean you know you you're dealing with a lot of of stuff there that is just a chance it's 
it, to me, it's it's maybe not as hard as like Alaska, but you're far enough north that you know a lot of us in the Midwest don't deal with anything near the conditions that trappers in Maine deal with. <laughs> yeah. So before we uh, wrap it up, is there anything else you want to say or or share with people or something that I missed? Maybe. Uh, no, just I, I mean I like I say I, thanks for having me on. It's just definitely fun to talk and you you probably inspired a day's worth of conversation and stories now Kellen and I'll be talking about that I haven't thought about in some time and yeah keep keep up the good work I thank you for having me awesome absolutely Earl take care Kyle and we'll we'll catch up with you again all right thanks Jeremiah okay bye